Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 313 of Her, the podcast, where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her pregnancy. Yeah. So we have a wonderful show coming up with one of my most favorite people. And before we begin, just know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. And here's your reminder to click on iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because I love hearing from you. You'll get another reminder later on. All right, it's time for her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind, her body, her life. It's all about her. So, you want to get pregnant and you want to know what to eat. Ha! Huh. And everyone out there is all confused. There's just all kinds of misinformation floating around and it's just a freaking mess. So, how about we talk to, seriously, an expert in the field, someone who's got street creds, not just academically, but also personally, and that is Dr. Nicole Avina. She's written a brand new book, oh my gosh, What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. Yeah, that's pretty much what it's all about, and it answers an incredibly important question that so many women have. So, Dr. Avina is a research neuroscientist, author, and expert in the fields of nutrition, diet, and addiction. And that includes food addiction, folks. Hmm. She received a PhD in neuroscience and psychology from Princeton University, and then a postdoctoral fellowship in molecular biology at the Rockefeller University in New York City. And she's been all over multimedia, and she is a go-to expert on everything nutrition, diet, and addiction. Nicole, welcome to the Her Podcast again. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here again and speak with you. Ah, okay. First of all, oh my gosh, do we need a book like this? And instead of having it written by a well-intentioned, but well, let's just say not highly credible author, we have you. And I, I would trust you above anyone else, both because you're a mommy and you're going to speak to that. At the same time, you know how to cull the the data together, especially in nutrition. And, you know, I'm looking at chapter two, the importance of diet for a healthy pregnancy. And to quote you, following a healthy diet is no longer just about achieving an ideal weight or looking a certain way. Eating right is an essential component of treating and preventing a variety of diseases and medical issues, and specifically, nutrition can alter fertility outcomes in both women and men. Amen. So, Nicole, why'd you write this book? Well, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote the book was because I just felt like there was such a need for it. We have, you know, so much information, so much research that's coming out that's telling us about how nutrition can have a positive impact on a variety of different, different types of health conditions that are out there. And fertility is one of them. And many people, including myself, have struggled with infertility. 
And, you know, finding that we can use nutrition in a positive way to make, you know, some positive changes in our health can really, really be important. And so I felt like this was something that there was just a real need for among, you know, the community of people out there that are either thinking about getting pregnant or, you know, maybe struggling with infertility or just want to make sure that they're optimizing their bodies in general. Well, tell us your story. Well, so my story is um, it's kind of a long one, but it's, um, you know, I'll, I'll make it rather brief. So my story is that I got interested in nutrition and addiction back in graduate school. And at the time, I, you know, was doing a lot of work on food addiction. And I um, got married in graduate school and then had my first daughter. And it was, you know, no problem, easy peasy to get pregnant. And then I struggled for many, many years. My husband and I, we were trying to have another baby and it just wasn't happening. And so one of the things that I, you know, found really interesting was the fact that there was all this information about the diet and the types of foods that we eat and how they can have a positive or a negative impact on our fertility. And so I started diving into that research. And, you know, at the same time, we were doing some research in my laboratory, looking at the effects of diet during pregnancy and how those kinds of um, different diets could have different health outcomes, not only for the mom, but also for the babies. And so um, lo and behold, my second daughter was born seven years later. And um, I just found that this was something that I wanted to share with the larger community and let people know about this research, about, you know, what's out there. And I think, especially for women who are struggling with you know, trying to get pregnant, there's a lot of information that's out there and not all of it is up to date or accurate. And I think that that's really important to make sure that we're using science-based guidance, not necessarily, you know, just someone's opinion or, you know, something that worked for somebody else out there. And so that was really the reason behind the book was to get this great information out there to people who can utilize it. Excellent. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, again, uh, you have great credibility because you kind of lived it. It's extremely important. So in chapter three, you talk about key nutrients for fertility. And you started out again with a growing baby relies entirely on the mother's daily nutrient intake and body stores for healthy growth and development. Their little fingers, toes, eyes, nose, as well as their nervous system and all other organ systems are forming and require a continuous supply of building blocks for the ongoing construction. What are these building blocks? Well, this is really, you know, the basis for making sure that we can have a successful pregnancy and, you know, a successful baby, a healthy baby being born. And so really just looking at all these different nutrients that are in the foods that we're hopefully eating, right? And so things like, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, those are ones that we often hear about as, you know, playing a role in brain health, but we also know that they play a role in making sure that the brain is developing correctly, um, you know, making sure that we're getting them from good sources and making sure that, you know, we're eating these healthy fats because not only is it important for brain health, but we have to remember that the majority of our brain is actually constructed of fat. And so we need to make sure that we're eating the proper types of fats in our diet so that we can support that development. But even on the level of a fertility side of it, you know, even um, taking omega-3 fatty acids in your diet has been shown to help to improve the egg quality. And so um, it's important not only for brain health, but also just for, 
you know, fertilization to happen in general. And there's a variety of other nutrients, you know, all the micronutrients that we tend to talk about that are important for our health they also have specific roles in fertility health and making sure that our reproductive health is good. And so that's why we want to make sure that we're, you know, keeping up with getting all of them in our diet. And it's not always that, you know, easy to do because as you are well aware, we live in such a world that is focused on processed foods and, you know, convenience foods. And often those types of foods are devoid of things like omega-3 fatty acids or vitamin C or vitamin D and so we really need to make sure that we're trying to eat a variety of foods and have that balance so that we can ensure proper development and also, you know, proper progress for a pregnancy. So some woman out there is listening to you and she says, but I'm on keto right now and I've just dropped a load of weight and, you know, what am I going to do about pregnancy and keto? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's a lot of different sort of diets out there that people adopt for one reason or another. And, you know, sometimes they do have success and they'll lose weight and that could be great. But I think that we need to keep in mind when it comes to something like fertility, we're talking about balance. And when you're on a very restrictive diet, like the ketogenic diet, you're essentially cutting out large groups of foods that are going to be containing nutrients that you need. And so when you cut out those foods, you're likely to then become deficient in some of those nutrients if you're not getting them from other sources like supplements or, um, you know, sourcing out foods that contain them and probably having to eat an awful lot of those foods in order to make up for the, the defect. So my advice is if you're trying to get pregnant, that you really think about, you know, the end goal here. And Weight loss can be a wonderful thing, especially if somebody is severely overweight. But if you're just looking to, you know, lose 10 more pounds because you want to be in a bikini on the summer, I think that you need to consider the fact that cutting out a lot of those essential nutrients might actually do more harm than good when it comes to, you know, thinking about our fertility. Huh. You know, so many women are on um, all kinds of interesting ways to eat out there from paleo to keto to mixes in between and south beaching it and and this and that um and and they they're freaking out about weight and pregnancy how do you address that yeah that's a great question and so i think that you know we need to keep in mind that you know, having a ideal body weight, whatever that number might actually be, and I think it's arguable these days about what an ideal body weight should be for a woman or a man anyway. Um, you know, having a healthy body weight is important for having a healthy pregnancy. There's been several different studies that have linked, you know, being obese or overweight with increased complications when it comes to not only getting pregnant, but also then throughout the pregnancy. But it doesn't stop at that. I think that we need to keep in mind that, you know, having a healthy diet is just as equally as important as, you know, being at a certain body weight. And so my advice is that people really focus on getting away from the number on the scale or getting away from whatever their BMI is or whatever their goal weight is and really just take the attitude of trying to just change the way you eat so that you're eating healthier foods. 
And it really can be that simple. It doesn't have to be this, you know, complicated, restrictive diet where you're only allowed to eat, you know, five things for during the hours of 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. or something like that. It can be really simple. And I think that that should be the message. It should be coming from a place of health and trying to make sure that you're nourishing your body so that you could then nourish a baby and not worry so much about that number on the scale. Yeah, you know, this is such a point of frustration. You and I know this extremely well. Um, You know, there's just so much crazy stuff going on out there about how you nourish yourself appropriately, how you maintain um, in a, a whole foods balance in terms of nutrients. And then, you know, the whole issue uh, layered on that of weight and uh, what you look like, appearance and blah, blah, blah. It's just, oh my goodness gracious. You know, Nicole, it seems that every year we're just spinning in the same, you know, spirals and circles. Um, do you see any hope for us? Yeah. I, well, you know, I agree. I think that this has been a conversation that's been going on for a bit too long. I would have hoped by this point we would have kind of made some progress and moved beyond it. But I think that people really need to understand that, you know, and I've seen this in my practice, I'm sure you have too. I've met plenty of people who are what would be considered a normal body weight and they're very unhealthy. They are not having a proper diet. They're undernourished. They're malnourished. And the same can be on the other side of the extreme. It's not really about your body weight or what you look like. It's about what you feel like and what you're putting into your body and how you're fueling yourself. And the weight loss, that'll come. I think part of the struggles that we face these days is that, you know, if people are trying to lose weight, they want it to happen overnight. They want it to happen right away. They don't want to wait. But we know from the research that sustained weight loss, meaning weight loss that actually stays off and doesn't creep back onto you, takes a while. It it happens over the course of many, many months in order to, you know, achieve it and have it last. So I think that's really the message that, you know, people should remember when they're thinking about, you know, if they want to lose weight versus if they want to, you know, just change their diet to eat a certain way. Yeah, yeah, I I just find that to be um, a major point of, uh, of, uh, of contention where people really need to get real straight about how they're defining um, health, you know, just in general. Um, and so one of the things I really loved about your book um, is that you deal with the psychology of eating behaviors. And again, um, what you what you say here, I think, is just spot on. As someone who works in the field of psychology and nutrition, one of the things that frustrates uh, me most is when women talk about a diet or eating plan and just leave it at that. Changing your habits, your eating habits, a lot more than shopping lists and recipes. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, I think that you know one of the biggest challenges that I see people facing is not so much that they can't decide what type of diet they want to follow, but the fact that they don't really deal with the underlying cause of their overeating or of the reasons why they're maybe not following a healthy diet to begin with. And a lot of that comes simply down to habit formation and learning how to cope with many of these bad habits that people have developed when it comes to their diet. And these can be tough because people often develop these bad habits very early in life. I mean, I'm talking back in child, you know, their childhood years 
where they've developed this relationship with food, where they sometimes maybe treat it as a way to, you know, soothe themselves if they have a bad day or a way to reward themselves if, you know, they accomplish a goal. And so in the book, I talk a lot about these different, you know, psychological aspects to diet. It's not really just about what you eat, but it's really about your mindset around food. It's about understanding not only, you know, some of these different ways in which our minds can kind of trick us into, you know, wanting to overeat certain foods due to these habits that we've formed, but also dealing with things like cravings and dealing with social situations and navigating how you're going to maybe, you know, avoid eating a piece of birthday cake if you just really don't want to have a piece of birthday cake, but it's kind of pushed in your face. And so I think those are really the the key things. I think following a meal plan and, you know, counting calories, like anybody could do that. That part's actually the easy part, but it's the psychology behind it that really is the hard part. Talk to us about habits. You know, you, you spent quite some time, you know, describing why understanding uh, how to create a healthy eating habit is so integral to what you're talking about. Yeah. So habits are so interesting to me because, you know, with my background in psychology and the brain, one of the things that we know about habits is they're essentially just learning that's kind of put on overdrive, right? So you're learning about a relationship between two things. And what ends up happening with habits is that that relationship becomes so ingrained that we do it just subconsciously. We don't even think about it. And, you know, some of these habits are bad, like, you know, if we're overeating or let's just say we're smoking cigarettes or we're, you know, engaging in unhealthy behaviors. But some of the habits can be good, like exercising, for instance, um, getting in a routine where you're, you know, have a certain type of workout that you do a few days a week. That can be a positive, proactive habit that can be a wonderful thing. But it's important to keep in mind that, you know, a lot of these bad habits that we've developed like I said earlier, a lot of them are rooted early in life. They're rooted in our childhood. They're rooted back when, you know, we formed these associations and over time they've grown stronger and stronger and stronger. And so breaking a habit is something that can be very difficult. And anyone who's, you know, had a problem with smoking cigarettes or alcohol use, they can attest to how difficult it can sometimes be to break some of these habits because, there are so many aspects to them. It's not just the substance that you're using. It's the environment that you're in. It's the friends that you're with. It's the you know routine that you're in when you're using it. And all that can be applied to food as well. And so really trying to better understand what it is about you know the situations you might find yourself in when you feel like you're compelled to overeat or you're compelled to eat something that you know isn't healthy, but you're going to eat it anyway that's all part of understanding your habit and learning how to break it down so that you can reconstruct that behavior so that it's not a bad habit. It's something that you're going to engage in that's going to be healthy and good for you and something that you're going to be able to see positive effects on your health as a result of. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's nothing like doing that habit thing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so much was written, you know, January 1st, you know, everyone's doing those little resolutions. Uh, my my uh, bias on that is every day is a day to resolve, um, not just January 1st. But regardless, um, you know, what's fascinating is uh, 
a lot of the scientists were saying, well, now, if you did want to start something on January 1st, then watch out for March 7th. March 7th, if you count it out, you know, it's going to be a good, you know, couple months. Um, and if you can keep something rocking and really pretty much do, you know, a good solid 80% effort and maintain that, um, you know, through March 7th, there's a very good chance it'll stick. It's, there's like a stickiness. And a lot of people think it only takes 14 days, 21 days. No, it actually takes much longer than that by the science. And um, so I have a lot of people who are now all glued on to March 7th saying, you know, damn it, I'm going to make it, you know, through that time and I'm going to keep practicing. And, and really, again, hitting it 80% of the time. I just really love that whole issue of habit. Now, let me ask you an interesting question. This was brought up by one of my team members knowing I was going to talk to you. You know, when you're pregnant, you're all happy wappy. <laughs> you just, you're feeling pretty good. Um, and when you're thinking about, um, you know, becoming um, pregnant, you can also end up sort of thinking that way too. And you make a big deal about how food makes you happy and that there's a, uh, uh, an emotion and eating habit connection there that you have to honor, but also be careful about. Tell us about that. Yeah. So it's so true that we have this emotional connection to food. And for many people, it can be in a positive way, right? We can have a relationship with food where, you know, we like to create delicious meals and, you know, cook in the kitchen and, you know, try a variety of different types of cuisines. And that can be, you know, a positive emotion, right? That can make us feel good to cook in that way and to, you know, use food in that capacity, but on the other side of it, we have to keep in mind that many people sometimes fall victim to using food as a way to make them feel better if they're, you know, maybe having a bad day or in the case of somebody who maybe is trying to get pregnant, maybe just, you know, took a pregnancy test and it was negative and you really, really, really thought it wasn't going to be. And so people sometimes end up turning to food as a way to make them feel better. And we know that this is because many of the foods that people tend to overeat and indulge themselves into are foods that can have an impact on our brain dopamine system. And the dopamine system is that system that's involved with pleasure and reward. And yeah, it makes us feel good when we eat foods that release dopamine, it's going to make us feel better. And so we need to be careful not to become into this habit where you're self-medicating with food and using it in that way, because over time that can lead to excess body weight. It can lead to people just eating way too much processed foods or way too much junk foods. And it's just not healthy in general. So I think we really need to be mindful. And I talk a lot about this in the book about really taking stock of why you're eating something and, you know, if you're having dessert because, you know what, you haven't had dessert in a couple of nights and you feel like having some dessert, that's great. Go for it. But if you're having dessert because you're telling yourself, you know what, I had a terrible day at work. I have, you know, all this stress in my life and this dessert's just going to be for me to make me feel better. That might not be the type of conversation you want to have with yourself. We want to really make sure that, you know, we're using food for what its purpose is. It's to fuel our bodies. And we're not using food as our therapist. We're not using food as a way to make us feel better. There's other things in our lives that we can use to do those things. All right. So 
that makes all the sense in the world, which is a nice segue into one of our mutual um, favorite topics, and that is addictive eating behavior. And uh, so, so many women out there are sitting back saying, but I, right now, I just, I'm trying to break the habit of, of just uh, binging um, on foods in a very highly addictive type way. Um, and I, how in heaven's name am I ever going to get this under control um, knowing that I want to become pregnant? I want to be healthier. So, Nicole, based upon your extensive research experience and your practical knowledge, what would you tell them? Well, certainly, you know, taking the mindset of I have to get this under control and I want to do this for not only my health, but the health of my soon-to-be baby, that is really a motivator. And so I think often the case when it comes to pregnancy, and we see this too when women end up, you know, giving up other bad habits that maybe they've had that suddenly when you become pregnant or want to become pregnant, you have that extra motivation. You have that idea that this is beyond me. This is for my, you know, my progeny, my, you know, offspring. This is going to be for my baby. I think that can really be helpful. And, you know, we see this too, not only with food, but, you know, women who maybe over consume coffee, you know, then they'll cut back when they get pregnant or they're starting to get pregnant or women who are smokers, you know, it's always amazing to me that people will struggle with smoking for years and years and years, but so many women that become pregnant are able to quit on a dime because they know, oh goodness, this is so unhealthy for the baby. So I have to make sure that I, you know, take this bad habit out of my life. I think that, you know, the first thing to do is to really just focus on that as your goal, focus on the fact that, you know, you're doing this not only for your health, but also for the health of the next generation. And I think that can really be a motivator and can help you to then, you know, do the next steps that are required in order to put it into practice. And, you know, one of the things we know from addiction is that it, it takes a village. It is not something that people typically, you know, can handle on their own. And so making sure you have a good support system, making sure you're, you know, reaching out and getting all the resources that you need to help you to, you know, overcome some of the challenges that you'll face, especially if, you know, we're talking about, you know, years worth of binging or years worth of overeating, that can be hard to overcome overnight. So I think, you know, just making sure that you're rallying up your resources so that you can make those changes is really important. I love it. Now tell people, what else is in the book? Because you have a really cool section with recipes and food plans. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So one of the things I really love about the book and the way that I developed it was it's focused on, you know, not only just educating people about the key nutrients that they need during fertility and about, you know, the psychology behind eating and the mindset around breaking up with your bad habits. But I also talk about 20 foods that you should eat to boost your fertility. And so I go through each of these different foods and I develop a bunch of yummy recipes that go along with them. And, you know, these are geared to be for the everyday person. They're not, you know, for gourmet chefs, you're not going to have to go run out and find some strange spice that doesn't exist in your grocery store. They're really just basic, simple recipes that are delicious, but they incorporate a variety of different foods that are going to help to boost fertility. And I think that that can really make it fun and different. And 
really just help people to change it up. One of the things that I often find when, you know, people decide that they're going to change their eating habits is that they start cooking and they start experimenting with different types of foods and they'll start to discover there's this whole world of other foods out there that they didn't even realize that they liked. And so that's one of the goals of the book is to kind of introduce people to maybe some different foods that they haven't tried before but do it in a way so that they're also at the same time going to be getting all of those extra fertility boosting nutrients that they need um, to help them, you know, be at their best. Ooh, you have a little fertility tonic here, I notice. So check this one out. Makes one serving one peeled orange or one third cup fortified OJ, one small carrot raw or cooked, peeled and roughly chopped, one half small beet, raw or cooked, roughly chopped, one teaspoon grated fresh ginger, six fluid ounces maple water, blend ingredients together until smooth, add ice as desired to the blender. Whoa, tell us about that one. I mean, do they get pregnant immediately? I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> You know, it's funny, like when I was developing the recipes, I wanted to kind of pick up on the things that I know women like to have. Women like to have smoothies and tonics and, you know, juices and things like that. And I wanted to just really develop some that can optimize the nutrition that we know goes into helping to boost fertility and to, you know, incorporate all those nutrients that we know are important for good fertile health. One thing, too, that I want to point out is that the recipes in this whole discussion, it's not just about the women. It's also about the men. And I think tell us about that. Yeah. Tell yeah, us. Cause, you know, a lot of times people just assume that fertility is all about mom. Right. It's all about the woman and, you know, her body. But we've learned so much. There's so much research out there about men's fertile health and, you know, how nutrition can have a positive impact on that as well. And so it's not just the case that, you know, these recipes and this information is directed toward a woman. It's actually, you know, I feel like fairly balanced between women and men because we know that what a man consumes can have an impact not only on, you know, his sperm health, but also on sperm count, sperm mobility, and just in general, the health of the sperm. So it's important that they pay attention to their nutrition as well. I love it. And and I think that, yeah, I just love when you say that because, um, you know, this is a, a two-person affair, as it were. Um, and it, let me ask you another question. What if one one person, um, either the, the woman or the man, um, is in great shape and they're really taking good care and they're just crushing it, you know, with wonderful whole foods, fitness, whatever. Um, and the other one is like not. How does that affect things? Well, you know, that's not uncommon, believe it or not. And, you know, it's not atypical to see that type of relationship and see couples that, you know, have sort of extremes of each other when it comes to their nutrition and their health and how they take care of each other. But again, we have to keep in mind that, you know, it is a balancing act. It is, you know, like you said, a, a two-party party here. And we need to make sure that, you know, both people who are contributing to this equation are, you know, optimizing their health and optimizing their nutrition. And so, again, I think that, you know, if you have a partner that is maybe rocking it when it comes to their diet and, and fitness and working out, use it to your advantage. 
get them to help you, get them to give you some advice. And, you know, I think that I find that people who end up making changes in their health and changes in their diet and their fitness regimen, they often don't necessarily get the advice that works for them from their doctor. Often it comes from a close friend or a partner and just hearing about what works for them and, you know, how it makes them feel and, you know, what they've been able to do to implement some of these changes in their life. And especially if you're living with a person and you're seeing the fruits of their success and seeing how much energy they have, seeing, you know, how healthy they are when they get their blood work back, that can be a motivator. And I think that that's something to take advantage of. Ha, okay. And then there are a lot of women out there raising their hands saying, whoa, we got a question here. It's about supplements. Okay, and and are there certain supplements that a, a woman thinking about becoming pregnant, whether she's doing this naturally or with IVF or whatever, uh, that they should really be uh, honing in on and making certain that they have enough of? Well, the number one supplement that I would say women who are even thinking about getting pregnant should be taking would be a prenatal vitamin. And the reason for that is because most prenatal vitamins contain a lot of these different nutrients that are important to supporting a pregnancy early on, especially folic acid. And we need folic acid on board because folic acid is an important nutrient in making sure that the baby has proper brain development very, very early in life when we have the neural tube, which is essentially a bunch of cells that end up folding into what ultimately becomes the brain and the spinal cord. Now, the development of this neural tube, it happens, you know, within weeks, very short weeks after conception, often before a woman even knows she's pregnant. And so that's why taking a prenatal vitamin is key and making sure that, you know, you're taking one that contains folic acid, which the majority of them do these days, but making sure that you're also taking one that contains things like DHA and, you know, making sure you're taking a prenatal vitamin that contains iron, because that's something that we often, you know, neglect, especially in our diets, especially people who are maybe, you know, following a, a diet where they're not eating a lot of meat and they're not, you know, necessarily getting iron from other food sources. When it comes to these other supplements that are out there, I mean, you really need to be careful and be mindful of the fact that, you know, there is no silver bullet. There is no one particular supplement you're going to take that's going to guarantee you're going to get pregnant that's going to work like that. I think it really comes down to looking at the ingredients, cross-referencing them with the information I have in this book so that you can make a decision about whether or not you would benefit from taking that type of supplement. I often tell people, try to lead with food. Really try to focus on nutrition and how you can get all these nutrients from food. And if you do that, you're not going to need anything else but a prenatal diet, a prenatal uh, supplement, prenatal vitamin, because you'll be able to, you know, get it from the variety of foods that you're already eating. What about vitamin D as in dog? Um, you know, and and its effect. I mean, do you think that women should know their vitamin D levels and make certain that they are appropriate um, in order to become pregnant? I think so. I think, you know, having information about vitamin D is so critical. We're hearing so much about it lately. I mean, we're learning so much more than I think we ever realize about the importance of vitamin D, not only, you know, for our mood, but also for our immune system health. And same goes for pregnancy and getting pregnant. A lot of people don't realize that they're vitamin D deficient. And 
a lot of people might be consuming lots of products that contain vitamin D or fortified vitamin D, but their body isn't absorbing the vitamin D. And so, you know, depending on a variety of different situations, people could be having issues where they're just not simply absorbing the vitamins that they're consuming. So I think it is a good idea to, you know, get your vitamin D levels checked so you can be aware. You might be in a situation where, you know, your vitamin D levels are just fine, but they can fluctuate too, depending on the time of year, especially in the colder winter months, people aren't going outside all that often. You're not going to be getting that vitamin D that we typically get from the sun. And so, um, I think knowing the amount of vitamin D that you have on board is really important because if you are deficient, it is something that we can easily rectify with a supplement or simply by, you know, maybe making some changes to your diet to incorporate more vitamin D rich foods. Oh, you know something? I'm just going to tell you, Nick. I mean, Nicole, listen, your book is just a breath of fresh air. There's just, you know, in the midst of all the craziness out there, um, eat this, don't eat that, and up and down, you have a really practical, smart, and science-based book uh, on what to eat when you want to get pregnant. I mean, that's just, uh, I'm, the blueprint and the foundation you gift the readers with is is so doable and accessible is a four-week nutrition program to boost fertility and it makes sense um, there's nothing overly complicated about it and as you said um, so well lead with food um, whole food and you know pitch the process stuff uh, permanently one would hope um, but certainly use this as an opportunity to get your act together because, uh, as you said again earlier, the best motivation is the fact that you want to have a healthy pregnancy and you want to give that child every single benefit of health and well-being for those nine months. So everyone out there, we've been talking to uh, our expert, Dr. Nicole Avina. She is a neuroscientist who has written her latest book, What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. It's smart it is strategic, it is easy to do, and it'll answer your questions about all things nutrients to be able to get healthy enough to optimize your ability to be able to get pregnant. I just love this book, so please, please, please run on out and grab this book. Learn more about Nicole by going to her website at Dr. That's D-R, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, Avina, A-V-E, na.com. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the Her Podcast. Oh, thank you, Pam. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. All right. And everyone out there, run on over to iTunes now. I want to see that rate and review. Why do I want to see that? I love your feedback because I'm Dr. Pam Peek. I'm the host of this wonderful Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter at Pam Peek MD or... Instagram at Pam Peak MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks for listening today. Please stay safe and stay well.